This morning we will be considering Genesis chapter 15, I mean chapter 25, verses 1 through 18. These are the words of God. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Letzushim, and Leamin. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to him. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nabahoth, then Kedor, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedamon. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. Our gracious Lord and God, we pray that you would open this scripture to us today, that we would have understanding and see the wonderful works that you were doing in this day that was so long ago, and the gospel that you were preaching even then consistently to all your people, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our text this morning is about the passing of Abraham at 175 years and about Abraham passing the baton to the next generation. We have him, his, his three categories of sons. We have his son Isaac, who was born of Sarah, pursuant to God's promise when Sarah was 90 years old. We have Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn, who was born of Hagar, who was Sarah's maid, whom she gave to Abraham as wife, in Genesis chapter 16. Sarah at that point was very desperate and hoping to become the mother of an heir, at least legally speaking, given that she, uh, that she was the mistress of Hagar. 
And finally, we have the six sons born to Abraham's wife, Keturah, whom he married after Sarah died in chapter 23. But what stands out in this text is that Isaac was Abraham's only heir, and all the other sons were sent away. And this is the kind of thing that can leave us scratching our head a little bit and wondering, or maybe even feeling a little bit uncomfortable. But what we need to understand is that God here is, in t- is teaching important lessons that are central to the gospel. But it's easy for us to miss them because we don't keep in mind important aspects of how God communicated his gospel to his people in the Old Testament. And one of the main ways that God communicated his gospel in the Old Testament was by raising up Christ types, men who were living pictures of Christ in various ways. And one such man was Isaac. Like Christ, Isaac was the son of promise. His birth was promised by God years ahead of time, and Abraham and Sarah spent years hoping in God's promise, looking forward to Isaac's birth. Like Christ, Isaac was born by miracle of God. Just as Christ was born of a woman who could not conceive because she was a virgin, so Isaac was born of a woman who could not conceive because she was barren. And besides, at 90 years of age, she was too old. Like Christ, Isaac was called by God to be offered up in sacrificial death. And then he was received back at the last second as a picture of resurrection. You can read a New Testament discussion of that in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Like Christ, Isaac was the only heir of his father. In Hebrews 1, verse 2, it tells us that God gave his son and spoke to us by his son, atoned for our sins by his son, and that he has appointed him heir of all things. Now, what's being pictured here is that Isaac represents Christ. It's not Isaac himself. It's not God playing favorites. It's not Abraham playing favorites. It's about God sovereignly using Isaac as a picture of Christ. Ishmael and all the other sons, the sons of Keturah, that's us. That's everybody who has ever lived other than Jesus. That's what's being communicated for us. Because what we need to remember is that part of the gospel message is the need for the gospel. And what the Bible teaches us is that in Adam, we all renounced God as our father. In Adam, we all forfeited our inheritance which was the earth and all things and glory of God, sharing his glory, sharing his joy, and so forth. We forfeited all of that. And thus we were sent away out of the Garden of Eden, away from God's sanctuary, away from God's presence. And the only way from that point forward, the only way 
for us to be restored was for God to send a new Adam. One who was born of God because he couldn't be born of the first Adam. Otherwise, he would be like us, which means he couldn't save us. He had to be born of God. He had to be one who was free from the power of Satan, sin, and death. He had to be one who could live a perfect life, a perfect life of worship and obedience to the Father. He had to offer himself for our sin. He had to enter death on our behalf and then conquer death, break its power through resurrection, and who thus could inherit all that Adam and we had forfeited. You can read about Christ in this kind of a role in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and also Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. This is why Christ is the only son and heir of God in his own right. He's the only one who's qualified. He's the only one who lived as a true son of God, truly reflecting the Father. He is the only one who can inherit what was promised to Adam and mankind in the beginning. For everybody else who has ever lived in all of history, they can only become the child of God and become the heir of God in union with Christ which is by faith alone. Galatians 3.29, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the inheritance of Adam, the, all the promises that were made, starting with the promise in Genesis uh, 3.15, that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, while being bruised on his heel himself. That seed of the woman who was promised, we would later learn, is also the seed of Abraham, through whom God promised to bless all the families of the earth. And then we would later learn that this seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham is also the seed of David, the shepherd king, the one who would be the king of kings and lord of lords and bring true righteousness and blessing to God's people and to the whole earth. All of these promises are preaching the same gospel message. And so we see here, and we see it especially with Ishmael, because the sons of Keturah are only briefly mentioned, and we don't have detail about them, but we have a lot of detail about Ishmael and how God was preaching this gospel, the only gospel, was preaching it through all of these various events. Remember that the gospel had to be preached to Abraham as well. It wasn't just Ishmael that was learning these things. It was Abraham as well. Because when God appeared to Abraham after Ishmael had been born, and when God made it very clear that the promised son was coming through Sarah, who had been barren her whole life, Sarah, who was now 90 years old, By that time, Ishmael was about 13 years old. This was Abraham's firstborn son. He was standing right next to Abraham when Abraham was circumcised and received the covenant of circumcision. His son, Ishmael, was standing right beside him, received circumcision 
right at that time. And so when God made it clear that there is one who is promised, Ishmael, that's great. He's your firstborn son. That's great. But we're not talking about normal human birth here. We're talking about the promised one who's going to be born miraculously, who's going to be offered up in sacrifice. We're talking about the gospel here, Abraham. That had to be made clear to Abraham because Abraham pleaded with God. He said, may Ishmael live before you. In other words, I have my son. I love my son. Let Ishmael be the one. Let him be the one. And God was adamant. No. He said to Abraham, it has to be the son of promise. It has to be one miraculously born. And he makes it clear that Sarah will bear the child. What God is saying, and don't forget who's actually talking to Abraham. It's God the Son. It's Christ pre-incarnate. The New Testament makes that clear. John chapter 8. Christ is teaching Abraham about the gospel and what he's teaching him when he says, no, it's not Ishmael, but this is not a matter of playing favorites. This is a matter of preaching the gospel. He's teaching Abraham. This is not about normal human inheritance. It's about the gospel. And remember, I would say that Christ knows a thing or two about the gospel since he was preaching what he himself was going to do. And I think Christ knows a thing or two about man's absolute helplessness apart from the gospel. And I think Christ knows a thing or two about fallen man's constant temptations and self-deceptions that he can be saved by something less than the full gospel of Christ alone. So Ishmael was not sent away when Isaac was born. Nor did Sarah seek to have him sent away at that time. He was not sent away until he was laughing at Isaac at his weaning celebration, which in that day would have been about when Isaac was three years old. So for three years, there's no problem. In other words, the problem here was not a jealous mama bear, Sarah. Because if that had been the case, that would have shown up immediately when Isaac was born, but it didn't. For three years, there's no problem. There's not a problem till Sarah sees Ishmael laughing. And Sarah discerned, and the New Testament confirms this, that Ishmael's laughter, you see, it wasn't innocent. It was malicious laughter. It was born of unbelief in God's promises to Abraham and what the covenant and circumcision were all about. What are they all about? They're all about cultivating faith in Christ, the promised one. It was all about Ishmael seeing that Isaac is a lens. He's a Christ type. He is a lens through which Ishmael is supposed to look and see the true promised one, Jesus Christ, and believe. Ishmael's laughter revealed his intent to inherit in his own right by the normal human customs of human inheritance. In context, that was an unbelieving rejection of Christ and the gospel. That's 
why he was sent away. And it's also important to remember that while Ishmael was sent away, he was not sent away beyond the reach of God's grace and the possibility of repentance and faith. Indeed, when, when God was telling Abraham, listen to your wife Sarah on this, I am going to be with Ishmael. He assured Abraham he was going to be with and bless Ishmael. When Ishmael went out with his mother in the desert, we're told specifically that God heard Ishmael's voice in the desert and God personally appeared to Ishmael and his mother Hagar. So sending them away did not amount to eternal damnation or reprobation. We need to be clear on that. It was simply a powerful statement by Christ pre-incarnate of the truth of the gospel. It was a proclamation of man's helpless inability to inherit in his own right. And it was a proclamation of the person and work of Christ as the only way any of us can inherit. So sending Ishmael away did not mean that he was being sent beyond the reach of God's grace and beyond the possibility of repentance and faith. In other words, the story of Ishmael was still open. And in our text today, we have Ishmael standing side by side with Isaac to bury his father. And where are they burying him? Right next to Sarah in the only little piece of land that Abraham actually owned in the entire promised land. It was a burial site. And you see, now that is objectively a statement of faith in the promises. And it's a very hopeful sign that we see regarding Ishmael. We're not told specifically that Ishmael came to faith in God's promises concerning Christ, but such a faith is not precluded by Scripture, and his his actions here, standing right next to Isaac, these are very hopeful actions. And in terms of Abraham's six sons with Keturah, We're not giving any details, but big picture, we know that it's the same gospel truths that are being proclaimed by being sent away and Isaac being the only heir. Now that's why, if you note in here, it says specifically that Abraham gave gifts to them. Now you have to distinguish gifts from an estate, gifts from an inheritance, Gifts that are given during the life, that's one thing. An inheritance, an estate, is what is given upon death. So Abraham is not disowning these sons. He's not sending them out penniless. He is giving them gifts. But the point is, there is only one heir because this is about the gospel. And in the gospel, there's only one who qualifies as son and heir, and that is Jesus Christ. And this this gospel message, as we go forward in Genesis and on in the rest of Scripture, we're going to see God, Christ pre-incarnate, preaching sovereignly this message over and over and over again because we're going to have a whole bunch of Christ types. 
There's going to be Jacob. There's going to be Joseph. There's going to be Moses. There's going to be Joshua. There's going to be David and Solomon and so on. And the same message is going to be driven home again and again and again. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we're going to see why it's so important that God keeps preaching this gospel message. Because when we get to the New Testament, we're going to read of another Ishmael who was granted repentance and faith. He's better known, he's he's known as Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul the Apostle. He writes about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, what is he talking about? If anybody thinks they can inherit God's promises in their own right, so that they have some kind of freestanding relationship with God apart from Christ. He said, if anybody wants to have confidence in the flesh, and that's what he's talking about, he says, well, I've got a better hand than you do. I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, really into it, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. How's that for zeal? Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Now, he's not talking about the actual righteousness of the law, because what's the actual righteousness of the law? First of all, the law is not given until after the Passover lamb has been sacrificed and after the people have been brought out in the exodus across the Red Sea on dry ground. So the giving of the law has nothing to do with salvation. That was all by the death of the Passover lamb. The law has to do with now that you've been given a relationship with God, being reconciled to him by the death of the Passover lamb, here's how to walk with God and one another in true love. That's what the law is about. And about the reminder that it's all about Christ. That's what all the sacrifices were about in the law. So the true righteousness of the law is believe in Christ, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the real righteousness of the law. But the scribes and Pharisees had substituted a different righteousness, which was all about making sure you're really, really, really separate from Gentiles. They had added all kinds of different things that you do to make it very visibly apparent all the time that you're separate from Gentiles. That was the essence of things. That was the righteousness of the law to them. That's how you showed you were really, truly a believer and a true son of Abraham and a true heir of the promises. And all of the prophets of the Old Testament, ending with John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles were saying, no, the heart of the covenant has always been faith in Jesus Christ, the promised one. And then once you have a relationship with God based alone on faith in the promised one, Here's how you walk with God in love and you walk in love with one another. And so Paul says, all of this, all my inheritance rights in myself, verse 7, what things were gained to me, my inheritance, 
I have counted loss for Christ. I push all that away. I just want Christ. Because he understands there's only one true heir of God, and that's Christ. And if you're united with Christ, you inherit all things with him. Verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ. You want to reduce this whole testimony of Paul down to a phrase? It's this, I am Ishmael, and so are you. That's what he's saying. So we see how God is sovereignly teaching this gospel message to Abraham. We see how he's teaching it to Ishmael. But what about Isaac, and what about the other Christ types? Because whenever God would raise up a Christ type, he would huddle up his people around the Christ type. He would, he would make his people identify with a Christ type, look through them as a lens to Christ. And so those who rejected the Christ type were themselves then cut out of the covenant. And we're going to see this going forward. We're going to see it with Joseph. We're going to see it with Moses. We're going to see it with David. God is constantly huddling up his people around the Christ type. So how is God teaching this gospel message to these Christ types? Because they live a life where everybody has to be huddled up around them. Well, this is what we're going to see going forward. Every one of the Christ types is going to have to hand off that role to someone else during their lifetimes. And then they are going to become Ishmael. And they are going to have to look to the new Christ type whom God has raised up as a lens for faith in Christ. They themselves will have to manifest the faith of Abraham. Isaac is going to have to hand off that role to Jacob. Jacob is going to have to hand off that role to Joseph during his lifetime. Joseph will hand it off to Moses. Moses is going to have to hand it off to Joshua. Moses is not going to be able to go into the promised land. During his life, he has to hand that role off to Joshua. And every one of them who has known what it is for God to huddle up his people around them They're going to have to huddle up around somebody else looking through that person as a lens to see Christ from afar and believe. And what all these events are about is God preaching a very clear gospel message in real life circumstances and then repeating that gospel message again over and over Forcing the issue, what is the object of your faith? Are you trusting in the one that the covenant and the covenant sign and the covenant word are all about? Are you trusting in the covenant itself? Are you trusting in the covenant signs themselves? The mere fact that you are a member. And you see this temptation going throughout Scripture. 
for Ishmael, for covenant members of every generation, including our generation, the temptation to trust in the covenant rather than trusting in Christ to whom the covenant points. Because always the purpose of the covenant that God has given, the purpose of its signs like circumcision or baptism and its sacraments like the Passover meal, like the Lord's Supper and the covenant word that instructs us. The purpose of all of this is to cultivate faith in Christ who is the foundation then build on top of that foundation with love toward God and love toward one another. 1 Corinthians 3.11 No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now God drove this point home during the days of Abraham by the way in which he gave this covenant, the way he built it. Because he started out in Genesis chapter 15. That's when the covenant is first given. But at that point, Genesis 15, with showing Abraham the stars and Abraham believing, with God walking down the path of sacrificial death himself by while basically immobilizing Abraham so that he can't even move, but he knows what's going on. What God is saying is that I will walk this path of death of sacrificial death, and that is how this covenant shall be established. So the foundation of the covenant in Genesis chapter 15, it's all about Christ. It's all about the person and the work of Christ. Abraham can't move. The only thing he can do in Genesis 15 is believe. Then God comes back years later, Over 13 years later, he builds on top of that covenantal foundation by building the structure of a house on it when he gives the sign of the covenant, circumcision, and the covenant law, and succession of generations, and all of that kind of stuff. He's making very clear that once all this is together, it's a single house. It's a single house. Foundation, framing, roof, everything is a single house. But you must never confuse the foundation with the framing. Because if you confuse them and you seek to put the framing on the bottom and support the house without, the house is going to collapse. You always have to remember what is the foundation on which everything else rests. And the answer to that is Christ and faith in him. And this is easy for us today as we walk with God as believers, as we bring up our children in the faith, which is what God intends. He wants, he wants his claim of ownership on them. He wants them brought up in the faith, not to the faith, in it. He wants them swimming in it. He wants them breathing it in. He wants it all going on all around them all the time, the way that they're coming up. That's God's own way of laying claim to the children that he has given to us. And so as we live life and we walk with God this way, it is easy to forget 
what the foundation is. But if you accept the covenant as an objective blessing for God, its signs, its sacraments, its word, if you take that while remembering what it's all about, which is faith in Christ, then the covenant, the covenant sign, the covenant meal, the covenant word are going to be great blessings to you and to your children. That's what God intends. But if we forget and we subtly start trusting in the covenant itself, we start trusting in our covenant status, we start trusting in the fact that our kids are baptized, we start trusting in those things, we've taken these blessings of God, now we've turned them into idols. We've replaced Christ with them. And then we're going to take God's objective blessings and we're going to turn them into a curse. That's the point. It is so subtle. That kind of error, that kind of um, uh, idolatry, it is easy. It is natural for us, folks. And so it is always near at hand. It's right next to us all the time. We have to remember, what is it all about? It is about the salvation that Christ has won for us, faith in him, and then then walking in light of that salvation. That's what it's all about. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.